Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of Hardwood Knox. This is Adam Frommel here with my fantastic co-host, Dan Favalli. But before we get into this episode, stop what you're doing. Go subscribe to our YouTube channel, search Hardwood Knox, like some videos, hit subscribe. You can follow us on a bunch of platforms, so make sure you're giving us follows there too. We're even on TikTok at this point, Instagram, Twitter, of course. So go out and get all the Hardwood Knox content you can, because all the episodes like this one are just fantastic. We've already covered the Eastern Conference breakout players, our predictions for one breakout player who is most likely to take a significant leap towards stardom, maybe reaching stardom in some cases for the Eastern Conference. Uh, this is the Western Conference now. It was a little bit harder, I thought, Dan. I thought, I get it's harder in the sense that I don't, I'm not going to go through a lot of these options with a ton of conviction because I think there are a lot of default options, as I told you before we started. But where, you know, the whole thing isn't necessarily predictive as is if someone's going to break out substantially, who's the most likely candidate? It felt like there were a lot of, well, I have to pick this guy. But if you push came to shove and I had to predict whether he was going to have this huge breakout, right. I don't know if I would, I would say yes. And I felt like the level that we were picking players, and we have not shared our picks for the Western Conference yet, so we'll see if we are as in lockstep as we were on the East. But I felt like in the East, we were picking guys who could reasonably become all-stars. And in the West, I felt like I was picking a lot of guys who I thought they're going to break out to become a top-end role player, a really good starter, but not necessarily like a true star. Yeah, and I, I don't know what it is, like maybe because the pecking order in the West is more defined, so the rosters are built a little bit differently, and there just isn't that... Better, many, deeper teams, I think. And when you look at, like, there's no teams like the Hawks or the Knicks, where it's like, oh, they might be good, but also a lot of their players are young beyond their primaries. Like, yeah, yeah Trey Young is still young, but you have Hunter, you have Cam Reddish, which you should have checked our YouTube. I don't know if you saw it, one of the YouTube commenters was slamming us for picking DeAndre Hunter and said that Cam Reddish is going to end up being like a top five player or something like that. So I don't know if I can get behind that, but like I, I'm pretty sure we said that Cam Reddish was a totally valid choice. I was waffling between the two of them for a while. I just I thought the Cam Reddish optimism. I I still I was very high on Cam Reddish coming out of Duke. Um, I thought I was wrong. I'm still holding out hope. I don't think he's ever going to reach the level I thought he would, uh, like Chris Middleton type heights, but. I just the, the Cam Reddish optimism got me in the YouTube comments. YouTube See, comments. I was the I was the opposite way, where I thought Reddish was a bust waiting to happen and was disappointed that that's the direction my Hawks went. And then as I've watched him, my expectations have grown. That's funny because the the shooting has been an, an actual issue. Like it has. the offensive value he provides, except for game what was that six of the the conference finals or whatever where he was hitting off the dribble jumpers, but. This is not the Eastern Conference pod. This is a shout out to the Atlanta Hawks YouTube commenters, though. Uh, Forever and always. This is the Western Conference pod. Do we trust me to start us off on this one is the real question. Absolutely not. So we're starting with the Dallas Mavericks. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the first team alphabetically here. And uh, this, I mean, we're starting off with a hard one, I think, because the pecking order for the Mavericks is like pretty defined at this point because it's Luka Doncic at number one, it's Luka Doncic at number two, and it's Luka Doncic at number three, and then maybe Tim Hardaway Jr. at four. So like, you have to think about Kristaps Porzingis here because of the upside, a new coach, but then you remember that new coach is Jason Kidd, and you're like, no, that probably won't happen. And beyond that, like I'm, I'm personally just not that sold on Josh Green yet. I get it if he's the choice, um, but that basically led me to Dorian Finney-Smith, 
who is an older breakout candidate, which is where I should say that we did tend to steer younger with these selections. We didn't pick any rookies. We no tried to steer clear of the very obvious ones. Like for me, Anthony Edwards, we, we expect a big leap, but that was not my pick for the Timberwolves um, and no all-stars um, as well. Uh, if they've made an all-star team in the recent past, yes, they could continue to improve, but it's not really feeling like a breakout. Um, so I don't think Finney Smith is going to be an all-star or a top-end starter or anything like that, but just the ability that he has with defensive length and versatility is something that Jason Kidd has historically prioritized in his previous coaching role. So I think he's going to just be involved a little bit more in the schemes. He also looked a little bit more comfortable attacking closeouts, creating for himself, getting to the rim a little bit more. He's been a consistent three-point shooter still has room to improve from the corners where I think he was around like 36% this previous season. Um, so even if these skills haven't translated into a star player, just the importance of his role and his ability to, to contribute in so many areas as this Mavericks team continues to get better, I think we're going to just see a, a changing in a positive direction reputation for him where he's no longer just this under the radar gem so much as an established valuable player. I'm gonna. I don't have any response. Like, like, I won't argue with that point. I went a different route, and I actually am calling it audible midstream. And I'm going with Sterling Brown because he had kind of a breakout year last year that I don't think people realized how good he was doing. And really quickly, I think you could mention Jalen Brunson here. Is there sort of an augmentation of his off the dribble game? I view him as someone who could put pressure on defenses, but will he ever have the not? I don't want to call him a second option, but just like quintessential sixth man who can run his own lineups because he's hitting a ton of off the dribble jumpers. Jalen Brunson's really good. It wouldn't surprise me if he got a lot better. Um, but I'm looking at this team and trying to find like a potential swings piece. And I thought it was Josh Green for me, just a wing who can really do functionally so much. We haven't seen a ton of it, obviously, at the NBA level. I'm going to go with Sterling Brown, though, because of his usage last year in, in Houston. He shot over 40% on threes. He defended a bunch of different positions for them. And the other thing they had him do, which I don't necessarily expect Dallas to try, but they were running him at point guard and he was doing okay. And so is that the guy? No, I'm not going to, I don't think we look back on this season and say Sterling Brown is Dallas's second best player, but I think there's been one, a ton of criticism about the Dallas Mavericks off season on the Jason Kidd front. I'll listen to it and I'll, I'll agree with it for the most part. I don't think he's the coach to elevate, um, players that you're looking for growth from and he also doesn't really seem like that good of a human being aside from that though i know fans and i've talked to dallas mavericks fans they've been in my mentions they're disappointed about this offseason i want to make a joke about them being the king of almost but this wasn't the offseason to do anything it was kyle lowry and that was it that ended up just being the prize like getting larry marketing wouldn't have been a huge prize for me you have christoph Porzingis, another big white dude who can't dribble and we'll space the floor for you. Uh, so getting Reggie Bullock, getting Sterling Brown, keeping Tim Hardaway Jr., kind of pricey, but he really didn't get that much of a raise off of his previous deal. I think they had a solid offseason within the confines of reality because I don't think they were ever going to get any of these big wig free agents because there were so few that were actually going to leave. Sterling Brown, to me, is one of those guys that we could look back on. And if I told, if I told you next season, Luka Doncic, wherever Kristaps Porzingis is, Tim Hardaway Jr., Maxi Kleba, but Sterling Brown is their fifth or sixth best player. Would that would that floor you? Would that floor you? 
It would surprise me. It probably wouldn't floor me just because I, I don't agree with Jalen Brunson as a breakout pick because I think he's the quintessential high floor, low ceiling player. But because that floor is so high, I would have a tough time seeing him surpassed. And I do think Finney Smith's importance is enough that it would be tough to leapfrog him in that pecking order as well. But if you're saying that Sterling Brown is on the same tier as those two guys and has elevated the ceiling of this Mavericks team, I'm totally behind that. What I would say then, this might be a better way to frame it, is I'm not, when you're sort of looking at the perimeter rotation, and we'll throw Doncic into this, you have Hardaway, you have Finney Smith, and then you have uh, Doncic. I don't know who I would definitively put in front of Sterling Brown to round out that perimeter rotation. Maybe it's Reggie Bullock. Mm. Maybe it's Jalen Brunson. I'm definitely putting Sterling Brown on the floor before Josh Green or Tyrell Terry at this point. And so I think he has, I think the opportunity will be, be there because it, he should be, in my opinion, like no worse than the, the eighth in minutes per game when you look at the rest of this, right. this roster. Totally behind that. I also just want to add that I, I think, and, and no disrespect to Mavericks fans here who are a very passionate bunch, but I think that Mavericks fans being disappointed in a Mavericks offseason is a little bit like the pre-2020 Cleveland Browns fans being disappointed in another losing season. It's like, yeah, you can be disappointed, but like, no shit, we knew that was going to happen. It's a rite of summer to be disappointed in the Mavs offseason. I just yeah. don't think, I don't think it, I wasn't disappointed I would have liked to have seen them gone in a different direction with the head coach. But when you look at the on-court stuff they did, unless you thought that they could have moved Kristaps Porzingis for anyone. Um, and that might be, I said this is a joke and people caught on to it on Twitter and something that I wrote, their biggest, most important addition might be Kristaps Porzingis offseason workouts. I don't know um, when that dude has had like a relatively healthy offseason in the past. That's fair. I don't think he's going to break out though. I think there's, there's a, there's a clear cap to me on his game offensively, but their That's biggest it. addition, though, is making sure that Boban Marjanovic is still there. Uh, I really wanted to see him end up in Philly to reunite Tobias Harris. Those <laughs> two are great. Let's let's move on to Denver. Uh, this was, I feel like you could have gone a bunch of different directions for Denver. I did not, and I'm curious, I'm assuming you didn't either. We didn't go over this. I didn't include Michael Porter Jr. among this. The opportunity will be there without Jamal Murray, but like the dude averaged basically over 20 points shot 60% from two and 40% from three after Jamal Murray got injured. And he was playing. I'll say right now I did. He is my pick because then he take the floor the on this one. he didn't, he didn't hit the all-star barometer that we're using. And I do think that the perception still has room to grow. Like he's still viewed more as an up and coming guy than an established star. So I think that there's room for the reputation to increase because of that. You already mentioned that he scored 21 points plus for like the last three months of the season, averaged 17.4 in the postseason, looked great doing it. He's going to be viewed as one of the best shooters in basketball. Like I, I do think that in that specific facet of the game, we're going to be talking about him in the same conversation as Kevin Durant. Like the same ability to get shots off over anyone to score from all three levels, to be a catch and shoot option, to create for yourself. Like he is not going to have that ability in as high volume as Kevin Durant. He's not going to impact the game like Kevin Durant, but in that specific facet of the game, I think we're going to eventually be viewing them as peers and that breakout is still coming. That's fair. I guess I don't expect to see it from him. I haven't seen the level of self-creation that Kevin Durant showed. And part of that is his role. And that's been his concession in Denver. 
Um, but even, you know, his touch time, possession time, all that stuff went up after Jamal Murray. It still wasn't someone who was creating a ton of shots. I don't see the secondary playmaking from him. He's young enough. This is his fourth. Agreed. It's and, that's, and that's where the comparison starts to diverge. Again, just that, that one facet. And I'm curious to see what he looks like defensively. I don't, I guess I just wouldn't be surprised. And so I'm looking for more like, I didn't necessarily use the all-star threshold. Just someone who's going to burst onto the scene was more my route. I think there are probably a, a few options here. Um, if people didn't pay attention to what Zeke Naji did um, in some backup five minutes last year, I think the table set for him to get a little bit more. I would say he's more important to Denver's immediate plans than Bobo, who would be interesting if you can carve out wing minutes for him. If you wanted to go with Lotko Kanchar or PJ Dozier, fine. Um, I went with Nishan Highland, and you know I was high on Bones, busy Bones, coming into the draft. I don't know if he's going to get the opportunity in Denver, so I'm, I'm sort of rolling the dice here because he's a rookie on a team that's going to look to contend. But knowing that Jamal Murray will be out, let's say through at least, I mean, they gave him seven to nine months, I think was the initial timetable. I would think, I would think that they're going to slow play it just because of how important he is to their future. Everyone points out that Jamal Murray is superhuman when it comes to this stuff, fine, whatever. But he, he and Nikola Jokic, regardless of what you think of Michael Porter Jr., they're the future of the franchise. So I just wouldn't fuck with that. Um, so I, there might be minutes there. I know they have Monte Morris. I know they have Facundo Campazzo. I know they have Austin Rivers. But I think there are some times where a rookie sort of breaks out on a team that's already okay to ridiculously good, like the Nuggets. And he brings a lot of what they need. If Will Barton gets injured, and that's happened a bunch in the past, as someone who can create his own shot, take ultra deep threes, which is not, they don't have that without Jamal Murray, someone who's going to hit a bunch of off the dribble deep three pointers. And his just, he's a contortionist around the rim when you look at his ability to finish hit difficult shots when he's on the move. I don't know what he's going to give you defensively. Certainly not enough as Pete Jamal Murray, uh, uh, as much as Pete Jamal Murray, but I also don't know how much of a drop-off it's going to be. Yeah, it'll be a drop-off from Amante Morris or Facundo Campazzo, but in certain lineups, I really think it could work, and I'm hoping he gets a chance, even though he's a rookie on a really good team. And I kind of had a, I don't know if I had a feeling you're going to pick MPJ, but I wanted to diverge here. So I'm taking a swing because I think Bones Highland can be really good and just based off Jamal Murray's injury I feel like maybe there's a chance we get to see the human bucket actually play from sort of the get-go there is enough conviction there that I think we we have to permit the breaking of the no rookie rules that is fair I totally forgot the break of the no rookie rule I was so <laughs> dead set on not picking Michael Porter Jr I didn't even realize what that I was breaking the rule in the process. So yeah. um, I guess I would have to roll with you on Michael Porter Jr. Then, but I'm still going to cape for Bones Highland. Thank you for pointing out that he was a rookie because I can, I'm going to make sure I don't <laughs> other rookies. Um, yeah. So uh, I do think it's interesting that this is the first time in this current sentence that either of us has mentioned the name Aaron Gordon. Oh, you're saying break out from not averaging six points per game towards the end of the yeah. yeah, I mean, like, I think Denver is still banking on him being significantly more impactful than he was during his first half season there. And it, Gordon has been the guy every season with the Orlando Magic, where in the offseason, he was a breakout candidate. Because you still saw that tantalizing athleticism. You still saw that they'd been working on his skills at the three, handling the ball more, trying to make sure that he could have this super versatile role. And it just never panned out. And I think this is the first time, you know, I, I don't think that he deserves to be mentioned. I just think it's interesting to note that it feels like this is the first offseason in forever that he's not a candidate for this. 
I think probably because even the best version of Aaron Gordon on this team is just not going to have the offensive agency that he did with her. I agree. I agree. Uh, I, they could, I guess, without Jamal Murray, if you just said, we're going to put the ball in your hands and see if you could do anything because we need someone else other than Michael Porter Jr. to do that. Um, that would be, there's like, maybe there is another level to his offense, but he would not be my pick. I'd have to go with Michael Porter Jr. Like you did just because yeah. He could – I don't know if he can enter the All-Star conversation this year. I guess Kawhi's injured. Without Jamal Murray, I think he can. I mean, he he's going to average – before Murray returns, he's probably averaging 22, 23 points a game, which is what he did during the last three months of the season. I'm just trying to think of, like, the rest of the, the All-Star field and specifically, like, the forward spots, um, front court spots, whoever you want to call it. So – but it wouldn't – I. you're right. He'll probably – be within that discussion maybe because that won't surprise me is why i decided to break our rookie rule without even yeah. realizing that i was breaking said rookie rule and I, I felt like i was breaking the not making a super obvious pick rule too the denver team construction is just a little weird he does this. seem like on the level of an anthony like if you expect anthony edwards to go kaboom like you better expect michael porter jr to the same yeah yeah i think that's fair but let's move on to the golden state warriors which I thought was another difficult one because of the age of the roster. I thought about Juan Toscano Anderson because he's awesome and super fun. And I just don't know the extent to which the NBA watching world knows about him, but I think almost out of necessity, Jordan Poole should be the choice here. I think it's telling that the Warriors didn't opt to add any proven guard depth because that's a vote of confidence in his direction. Even if, I don't agree with said vote of confidence. I'm still not sold on Jordan Poole being anything better than like a usable backup, but I think that the role he's going to have to fill for this Golden State team means that he is going to average significantly bigger numbers. I promise I was not paid to say this by our friend and friend of the podcast, Jacob Bourne. Well, or sections of Warriors Twitter that went after me because when I made fun of the war, look, here's... These are the facts. I'm not saying he should break out. No, I'm saying that he might out of necessity because the front office has confidence in him. That is my problem. The fact that Jordan Poole is this breakout necessity. Right. Last year, he showed he showed a lot. I would even say at both ends of the floor. You look at the second half of the season, what he was doing as a finisher around the rim, shooting fairly well from three. My issue is, you're the Warriors. You watched your team rank in the third percentile of offensive efficiency when Stephen Curry was off the court. You responded to that lack of secondary shot creation by acquiring zero secondary shot creation <laughs> over the offseason. That is mind melting to me. And people responded when I pointed that out, saying Jordan Poole is literally secondary shot creation. Dan, you just you have to remember that you have to take the ownership's bank accounts into account. Fuck the ownership. Like, you got it. You need to be more sympathetic towards these billionaires, man. I and look, part of me is like, who else were they supposed to get? If they weren't going to get Patty Mills, they weren't going to get anyone who was eons better. But I would just like right. to point out that I, I want to know what's going to change throughout all this. The Warriors, when Jordan Poole played without Stephen Curry last year, one hundred two point three offensive rating. That is in the sixth percentile. That's no offense to Jordan Poole. I don't trust him. If you want him, is he? He's their backup point guard right now. So you're right. I think he has to break out. I think he has the potential to break out, but the fact that they're in a situation, even with Clay coming back, where you need Jordan Poole to break out, unless Jonathan Kaminga is going to be great from day one, which I'd argue he's not going to be as a creator, uh, yeah. you're that's a precarious position to be in. 
my pick is Juan Toscano Anderson. As I think one of the foremost drivers of the Juan Toscano Anderson bandwagon, I might be higher on him than Warriors fans are. I think I've seen a lot of criticism about this isn't someone who's going to shoot in volume, but he does a lot of like offensive stuff efficiently. And there's a variety of it. Yes, you'd like to see him shoot more threes, but he shot basically, I think he was at 39% last year. Maybe he was at over 40%. can't remember at the moment. Uh, 40.2%. He only took 92 of them. I get it. But he also was in the 70th percentile of efficiency on cuts. He could just be used a lot of different ways. I do think he's sort of, and they they have um, Otto Porter now to help do this. Maybe with some of the lineups, depending on where Moses Moody plays or with Andre Godala. I don't know how they're going to work those minutes. But he seems like the guy to put at the four right now when you're going to have Draymond Green at the five. And the Warriors hashtag annihilated opponents when JTA played the four with Draymond Green at the five. He can cover a lot of different ground defensively. And I looked this up uh, on Basketball Index. There are 250-plus players who logged at least 1,000 minutes last season. Juan Toscano Anderson ranked 13th in their positional versatility metric on defense. Now, Versatility does not inform effectiveness, but I actually think he is pretty effective to the uh, to the in the to the degree of you can play Juan Toscano Anderson at the four and Draymond Green at the five, and your defense can still be functional. You're not because you're giving up all this size elsewhere. Um, yeah, you're not going to help Draymond Green with the wear and tear. Ideally, he would play with someone maybe like a Paul Millsap who can guard some of the five so that Draymond can do Dray- more Draymond things. Uh, maybe maybe that's why they might favor Otto Porter because they view him as that type of just burlier body where JTA is more just slender. I think they still need him to be a pretty important player. He's also a risk though, because I don't know what his role is on this team following the additions of Andre Godala, Moses Moody, who I think is when you look at golden States, three primary youngsters, Moses Moody, Jonathan Kaminga and James Wiseman. I think Moses Moody is probably the most immediately important, like long-term it's Kaminga and probably even Wiseman's more important but who's most likely to help this team next year? Probably Moody. But Moody, again, I think. Moody, even with Kaminga, you want to throw that in. You had Otto Porter Jr. Clay's going to come back. You got Andre Godala. I don't know what they're going to do with Montescano Anderson. I think he needs to be a fixture in this rotation. And I would like to see him actually play more than the 1,100-ish minutes that he played last year. Because I think that's a really good, smart, fundamentally sound basketball player. Did you give any consideration to James Weissman here? Because I will admit that I did not. I just, he's coming off the torn meniscus. And what does that do? He couldn't participate in summer league, obviously. How have, like how much has he been allowed to work out over the offseason? How much can he do once training camp opens up? And I still just come back to the fact that, forget about the Warriors' willingness to run pick and roll with him. If you have James Wiseman on your team, run more motherfucking pick and rolls. But when Draymond Green is on the court, I, I just don't see yeah, how it works between them offensively. And I do think Draymond Green might be important to helping Wiseman defensively. And so I'm not trying to crap all over Draymond Green, but just I don't understand how it works. And then, like, if you ever have Draymond and Andre Godala on the court at the same time, you can't have James Wiseman as a part of those lineups. They just I can't very happen. much, I very much think Wiseman could still turn into an all-star down the road. It's not going to happen with this team construction. If that happens, it's because he continues to develop – and the Warriors have moved on from the Steph, Clay, Dre era. I will say, as someone pointed out to me, if you can play Draymond and Kavon Looney together, why can't Wiseman and Draymond be the same way? I would counter with one, a healthy Kavon Looney is way better defensively than James Wiseman is. And two... Way better hands, too. And two, what are you expecting from Kavon Looney on offense? 
it, you're not. There's just no expectation there, really. And James Wiseman is more of a presence. His biggest, his most of his utility right now is going to yeah. come on the offensive end. And so I think yeah. that's the difference there. And the hands. <laughs> yeah, he uh, stone hands, or maybe the basketball's coated in Crisco. I don't know. Maybe both. The Rockets are the next team up. It's it's kind of a shame that we excluded rookies, except for when I went rogue and picked Busy Bones on accident, because <laughs> they just have four really intriguing rookies. When you look at Alperin Shangun, Jalen Green, obviously, I'm a big fan of Usman Garuba, and then Josh Christopher. It just looks like he's going to be a human menace. I think the popular pick here would probably be to default towards Kevin Porter Jr. I'm going the route of Jay Sean Tate here. I'm very curious to see what this dude looks like offensively next season. He already kind of has like a little bit of an FU to his offense where he can attack, finish through contact at the rim. If he starts, and this is how I'm visualizing his breakup. If let's say he shoots a league average or 30, 35% from three on, on fair to fairly high volume. He is like one of the most valuable non-star weapons in the league. And I think, I don't know that I saw enough of his jumper to believe that it's going to get a lot better, but I'm just looking at all these different weapons that the Rockets have now in healthy shot creators where Eric Gordon, John Wall, Jalen Green, uh, even just Josh Christopher with the pace that he plays at when the ball's in his hands, Christian Wood getting the attention when he's on the inside. I kind of think that we just might see another level of complimentary offense from him. And you combine that with what he's already doing defensively or already did defensively for them. I, I don't know that his ceiling is much higher than it is now, but if this is a dude who comes close to shooting league average from three, he's just one of the upper echelon three and D non-stars in the league. And given that he's only going to be a sophomore, even though he's on the older end, I felt compelled to, to really pick him. I love watching him. He's so easy to root for. So I really, I, I like the pick. I would also encourage anyone listening to uh, go check out Mirren Fader's piece on him on the ringer because she has written a lot of great articles over the years. And that is in the top tier, in my opinion, it, after you read that, it's just impossible not to root for Jay Sean Tate. I'm still going with Kevin Porter jr. I, I knew it was going to be the popular pick. I'm just, I'm convinced that this guy is in the all-star conversation down the road, not this coming season, but like, I think that you're I think just handing out a future all-star designation. I am. Like, I am. I also think that the all-star right game should expand because there are so many players who deserve to be in the discussion. That's an excellent point. Uh, when he was in the starting lineup for 23 games last year, 17.9 points, 4.0 rebounds, 6.5 assists per game. He wasn't particularly efficient. The Rockets got slaughtered in those minutes, but this is a young team that was learning and he is just so good, but not great in so many areas. Like you can see the flashes of the off ball slashing ability. You can see flashes of the off ball juice of the catch and shoot ability of the pull up jumper ability of the transition prowess. You know, the list goes on and on. He's not, he does not yet excel in any area, but I will 100% be willing to bet on guys who have already shown this level of improvement and seem to have such a high ceiling across the board. If he hits in two of those areas, we're talking about a very valuable player. If he hits on four of those areas, he's in the all-star conversation. What if he hits on all of them? That's a pretty big what if. So I would Oh, it's unlikely, but there are few players who that's still at least a somewhat realistic possibility. Like if you go, if you look at 
X number of, of players his age or younger, you're going to get to scratch a lot of really good names off that list. Yeah, and look, I don't fault you for picking the popular pick. That's not, I wasn't subtly throwing shade before I knew who you selected. Why wouldn't you pick the guy who has always kind of shown that off the dribble flash, but there was like substance and refinement to his decision-making in Houston a lot of the times last year. Even though I still think he's going to have some pretty low lows, his peaks are going to be pretty damn high. I definitely think it's possible. I am curious to see how the complexion of the team might impact what he does. If John Wall is healthy, if Eric Gordon's healthy, you have Jalen Green there now, plus Christian Wood. Does that sort of dilute what he's doing? My guess would be that, one, John Wall doesn't stay healthy. But mostly, two, I don't think Eric Gordon finishes the season in Houston. And so maybe they sort of open uh, his runway. I think for Jay Sean Tate in his role, there's going to be more opportunity for him to grow than I could kind of see Kevin Porter Jr.'s utility shrinking just by virtue of everyone the Rockets have around him. I can see that for sure. I'm just, I I have to bet on the upside that's driven by talent here. I just think there's way more room to grow. But that brings us to the, uh, the Los Angeles Clippers, which felt like kind of a by default one. Eric Bledsoe. Yeah. I got you. Yeah, definitely. Eric Bledsoe. It was between him and Yogi Ferrell. Right. (laughs) Yeah. They signed Yogi Ferrell. I think so. All right. Well, anyway. I'm looking at him on multiple depth charts. So unless I'm giving false information to the world here. Well, then it's obviously him. But um, yeah, I, no, thought, I mean, oh, it was in all seriousness. Deal. That's what it is. So you're right. Yeah. But anyway, carry on. In all seriousness, it felt like it had to be between Luke Kennard and Terrence Mann. And I'm going to go with Mann based on the three point shooting and the shot creation that we saw in the playoffs. I can see him carving out a significantly bigger role while Kawhi Leonard is out of action and not really seeding a spot in the rotation. I think Kennard is still more of a specialty weapon meant to be deployed in smaller spurts. And I, I think that man can legitimately become a part of this team's core. Am I confident in that? No, not really. There's way too much volatility to his game. It's been far too small a sample of him playing at a well above replacement level level. But I just don't know who else to pick here. Especially because we're not picking rookies. They they had sneakily just a really good draft. I thought the Knicks should have taken the swing on Keon Johnson. They did not. I love that from the Clippers. Maybe he actually gets playing time with Kawhi out. Can't pick him. Uh, Brandon Boston Jr., that was another guy, just sort of a 2-3, that that's going to give you like a lot of different um, types of looks. And I'd be curious to see. I doubt he gets real playing time. But I thought there was a really nice pick in, I think it was the 50s, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. And... Yeah, so it has to be Jason Preston, too. I really like Jason Preston. I don't know enough about him, in full disclosure. But I do agree that I think maybe if you really had faith, you could go with Justice Winslow here because there will maybe be minutes for him if they don't want to play Keon Johnson, if they don't want to play Brandon Boston Jr., um, Kawhi's out. There might be some minutes up for grabs there. I just, even when Justice Winslow was at his best, he needed to have the ball in his hands on offense without actually hitting off the dribble jumpers. And that's tough for me to buy into, even if you like the defensive versatility, which I I think is fine. And we have more evidence that he's not going to hit a high percentage of his catch and shoot jumpers than we do that he will. And even when he did that year in Miami, he wasn't taking a ton of them. Like it's, and I'm not saying he needs to take a ton of them, but that's why I'd steer away from him with Terrence Mann. The only thing I'd add with you is I absolutely think he like you has a chance to become part of the core. And I would probably even bet 
on it happening just because I think he also showed that he can kind of duck in and do some nice things off the ball on offense. What's really going to be key for him, and that's actually going to be easier next season or the following season after next season when Kawhi is back and you have Paul George there, his defense is just not at the level that it probably needs to be. He'll compete, and he's, but he's not necessarily huge. And he's not, you know, he can, there's some ball watching there with him. I'm curious to see what type of defensive matchups he pulls this season and what types of lineups he's working in. But I, the, the offensive opportunity should be there because even with bringing back Reggie Jackson, even after trading for Eric Bledsoe, even after having Luke Kennard, who I think he, I think he's a fine candidate. He had some nice stretches last year at the Clippers, but he also had these protracted periods of the Clippers don't even want to play him. And so that's including the playoffs. Yeah. And, that's why he seems too risky of a pick. And I think he's limited more, way more limited. I'll say on defense than Terrence Mann. So maybe we just see a lot of improvement from Terrence Mann on, on defense this year. So he's young enough. He, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't have that NBA experience to where you can say, Oh, he's not going to improve. If I had to like actually make the bold prediction, I view Terrence Mann as a part of their core. And maybe I'm overreacting to what we saw in the playoffs, but I think he ends up being just a great kind of guy who can toggle between different things on offense. And if you have a Kawhi and Paul George healthy at the same time, like all of a sudden his defense just isn't as problematic and it might verge on not bad. So I'm very curious to see what he looks like two, three years from now, the offensive opportunity next season though, I think is the primary jet fuel for, for his selection here. Based on the hot takes I've thrown out about future all-star candidates, I feel like you need to go bolder than that. I, that, was, the, that was lukewarm at best. Well, then you're going to love this. We're moving on to the Los Angeles Lakers. And I toyed with picking Malik Monk here because they are so devoid of off-the-dribble jump shooting. They are just – who is – right now, who's the best off-the-dribble jump shooter on the Lakers? It's probably LeBron. It's probably after, LeBron, yeah. After, after LeBron, though, who is it? Maybe Dwight Howard. <laughs> DeAndre Jordan, maybe. <laughs> Marcus all for the next three days. Oh man. What is, uh, yeah, there I can't with the Lakers in the front court, but anyway, I, I don't know how much of an opportunity the guys who are actually, I think the three options here to me are Malik Monk, Talon Horton Tucker and Kendrick Nunn. Who among them is actually going to have the opportunity to play. I'm going to go with Talon Horton Tucker just because of the investment they have in him with the new, new deal that he got. He's not an off the dribble jump shooter. He started hitting jump shots. For a little bit last year, um, it wasn't a huge sample size, and it's not the confidence level. It definitely wasn't three-pointers. If he can hit some set threes or if th- those herky-jerky drives of his and he can hit some just fades, but he's also gonna just going to give you he's – a, he's a fairly good passer. Um, he'll be able to do stuff closer to the basket. And then his defensive malleability is, is pretty in line with how the Lakers might want to play in certain lineups. I don't ever want to see him on the court at the same time as Russell Westbrook. I will tell you that right now. But – He's just my guy by default. And I actually, I do believe in him as a breakout candidate for him. Even if the jumper never comes, it feels like there's a hyper disruptive, super useful defensive player there who can give you some ball handling. And yeah. And they have, his body doesn't make sense when you look at it. It just so ridiculously long. My question is, I think as it would be for anyone who you pick on this team, what is the role here right now? I do think they are more invested in him than any of the other potential breakout candidates though. And the other thing, they might need his defense. When you look at all they gave up this offseason, Contavious Caldwell-Polk, gone. Kyle Kuzma turned to a pretty good positional defender, gone. They have not, no one has signed Wes Matthews to this point, by the way, if I'm not mistaken. So as of right now, he's not there. 
you have you have Melo. No, that's not helping you defensively. Trevor Ariza maybe helps you defensively, but that's really not saying much. Like he's just super old and kind of needs to defend these bigger, slower wings at the moment. So you might need Talon Horton Tucker in addition to Davis and the way that LeBron has been defending to kind of prop up this top tier defense, which I would argue maybe the Lakers won't be anymore. It's possible just because Anthony Davis is a freak. And I, I think he is still underrated defensively. That's a different podcast though. But you might just need Talon Horton Tucker defensively a lot more than you did last season. The only thing I would really add is of those three, again, the only realistic candidates, who has the most room for growth? Like I, I think that's the only thing that was not explicitly mentioned because we know what Kendrick Nunn is at this point. He's not going to blossom into something he's not. And I think the same is true about Malik Monk, probably a little bit to a lesser extent, but he basically topped out on what we're going to expect with the Charlotte Hornets last year. And he's certainly not going to get the opportunities to continue showing growth on the offensive end because there just aren't enough shots to go around. So just by virtue of realistic growth opportunities, I think it has to be Taylor Horton Tucker. And then you couple that with the investments made in these players. I mean, Kendrick Nunn and Malik Monk coming aboard on short on, on, I believe one year deals for both of them. Talon Horton Tucker was a big re-sign candidate. And that alone says a lot. Yeah. And if you had to pick between the other two, Nunn and Monk, I'd I go think Monk. I would go with I think I would go with Nunn because I I do feel like the Lakers are quickly going to realize how unplayable Rajon Rondo is. So there will be an opportunity to be the primary backup point guard. And he's gonna give you more of that than Malik Monk can. I think Monk, if you yeah. want, yeah, I guess even Kendrick Nunn off the dribble shooting might even be better at the ah. I don't know if you got to go, if, if you're looking at strictly off the dribble self-creation, I, it's probably none still. I think he probably has more. I'd probably trust Monk more as an off the dribble jump shooter, but I think Kendrick Nunn is more likely to score at all three levels. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it does. It, it does for sure. With that, I think we can already move on to the Memphis Grizzlies. Felt like there were a lot of candidates here just because this roster does have so many intriguing pieces in what if Dylan Brooks continues the offensive ascension that we saw in spurts during the playoffs? I don't no, think he's going wait, to. Wait. Offensive ascension continued? He had one great game on offense, which is a lot more than he previously had. Well, I believe see. that by definition is an ascension. Uh, I think if you have to pick him, you probably need to pick him for another team now. I don't think he finishes the season in Memphis, but fair enough. DeAnthony Melton long been one of the more underrated players. I think he is a totally viable choice. What if Jarrett Culver finally does something? What if Jaron Jackson Jr. stays healthy and starts to live up to that potential? John Morant is a perfectly reasonable pick, but I'm going with Desmond Bain. because it, I is, is he reasonable in the sense that we weren't picking Anthony Edwards or Mellow Ball? If you're picking Michael Porter Jr. Yeah, I'm just I'm staying away from more obvious ones with the I exception he, of MPJ. I guess I just view him as already a star. Like I don't he's think not he's not an all-star. He hasn't been an all-star, but I view him already in that vein, whereas Michael Agreed. Porter Jr. still needs to crack the click. I, which I is why I was which him. is why I was willing to to pick Michael Porter Jr. Right. I'm just I know you didn't pick John Moran, but I almost feel like saying break it. Unless you're saying he's gonna break out into an MVP candidate, I feel like it's almost insulting to how good he actually is. Totally fair. I rescind, I rescind the consideration. All right. I now tell, tell me more about Xavier John. Tillman. But Desmond Bain, I think he is a very realistic choice to fill a lot of the vacated minutes when Grayson Allen left. Just an awesome 3 and D guy. And 
even if he stays fully within that role with more minutes, there is going to be a lot more recognition that he is one of the bigger draft steals we've seen in the last few years, because the three point stroke is ridiculously talented in so many different situations as a trailer and transition catch and shoot on relocations out of the corners, little bit off the dribble every once in a while. Um, and then the defense, the versatility, the length, the aggression, he, he is just, he is that guy in that mold. And I think that the opportunity is there for him to play a more prominent role within the rotation, especially if, as you think Dylan Brooks and or Kyle Anderson is moved at some point during the season, there's even more of an opportunity. My pick is Desmond Bain as well. And I do think there are a lot of candidates here. I really want Jared Colfer to work out. I just don't know if he has the, the way he wants to play an offense. I don't know if he has the speed uh, to do that. Anyway. And I, I want to pick Jaron Jackson Jr. I just I thought about it for sure. And I, th- I think he's a viable pick. This is not someone who has been the Michael Porter Jr. in the Amphi Edwards territory. Um, and it's not even just because he wasn't healthy last year, just defensively got to keep his hands to himself, prove that he could defend the five. And I, you probably need to see more variance from him on offense. Anyway, I echo everything you said about Desmond Bain. I don't want to read too much in the summer league because of how the rosters are built there. This day, he was dribbling into threes. He was freezing defenses while attacking at varying speeds. He gave a lot, gave him a lot of secondary playmaking. I would almost advocate based on how Memphis has sort of burned down the playoff trajectory. It seems like get rid of whoever you need to get rid of so that you can clear minutes for one Zaire Williams, because I'm officially in love with him after summer league too, but also Desmond Bain for, I want to see on ball Desmond Bain. Yeah. I get, get rid of Tyus Jones. Trade DeAnthony Melton, trade Dylan Brooks, trade Colin, whoever you need to get the ball in Desmond Bain's hands more. I need to see it. I'm sold on him not even being able to optimize himself within the role that you described. I'm I'm on the as high as people are in Sadiq Bay and his ball skills. I think Desmond Bain has a higher ceiling than mm-hmm. Sadiq Bay on offense. And I'm I'm talking substantially just after watching what he's able to do with the ball in his hands. I hope he gets that opportunity in Memphis this season because if he does. I would argue you cannot talk me in to anyone else on this roster. And that includes Jaron Jackson Jr. Not saying he'll be better necessarily because I think Jaron Jackson Jr. is more of an anomaly at his position, yada, yada, yada. I am all aboard the Desmond Bain bandwagon. I don't plan on deplaning anytime soon. I know you're supposed to start for the Minnesota Timberwolves, but I just want to preface that team by saying that in my notes, I wrote down, Anthony Edwards is too obvious, even if he's the right choice going with, and then realize that I never came back to it. My pick would have been Jaden McDaniels. And I know that's going to be your pick. So I seed all of my talking to you in this section. Jaden McDaniels is a fucking stud. I've been cussing too much on this podcast. I apologize. I love, I love that you didn't even like need to react to that because we both knew that I was right. <laughs> yeah, it was, I was almost, I thought you were going to go into a Jaden McDaniel spiel. And I was like, did he really just <laughs> break out candidate Jack me like that when he knows how I feel about Jaden McDaniels? No, it just, it worked out so perfectly that I, I don't have anything prepared for this one. And I know that you do. They, so where I diverge with the Timberwolves is they seem to think that he can't hold up defensively at the four, which is why they've been obsessing over not just Ben Simmons, but they were linked to, John Collins, they were linked to Lowry Marketing, two guys who I would argue aren't going to be better than Jaden McDaniels at the four anyway. Uh, 
I think he can give you defense at the two, three, four. I'm just more intrigued by his offense as someone who I think can finish through straight line drives has already shown he'll hit threes at a moderate clip off the catch. What we saw from him in summer league too. I I don't want to read too much into it. There's more ball skills there. He has directionality in traffic. They really treated him like a point wing throughout summer league. You're not going to do that on the actual Timberwolves because you have Anthony Edwards, Malik Beasley, D'Angelo Russell, uh, even Carl Anthony Towns. Although I would argue at this point, I'd probably rather put, this is, this is an exaggeration, but if Patrick Beverly is going to be your backup point guard, like maybe just during those lineups, let's let Jane McDaniels be the point forward. I don't trust Patrick Beverly with the ball in his hands on offense is basically what I'm saying. And who he might be traded again at this point. Who knows? I, he is, the fact that there are more layers to his offense, my main point is, that's a pretty big friggin' deal because he's already shown that he can fill gaps, um, run the floor, slip through cracks in the, in the defense in the half court, um, hit the set threes like I talked to. But if you can put the ball in his hands and count on him to do more than just attack in a straight line, you have an instantly really good player at one of the most desirable sought-after positions in the league. Whether you view him as a three or a four, I think he can just shuffle somewhere in between, especially now. I love the idea of lineups, though, as of now, just because I don't think they have a bunch of other options, unless you think I'm assuming they'll resign Jared Vanderbilt, who I would consider picking him if Jane McDaniels wasn't on this team or if he had signed a contract yet at this recording. I want to see more towns and Jane McDaniels at, as the five, four, you can round that out with, I'd probably rather see for defensive purposes, Patrick Beverly on the court with Anthony Edwards and maybe Malik Beasley, because then you have a nice mix of size, but give me three of Patrick Beverly, D'Lo, Malik Beasley and Anthony Edwards with Carl Anthony Towns and Jane McDaniels in the front court. And I think that base, that lineup base, it's not going to make the Timberwolves a playoff team because you need to fill the minutes around them. That lineup base is so tantalizing. And I, I don't know if I've said it enough. I'm in love with Jane McDaniels. And there's, if they win the Ben Simmons sweepstakes without giving up D'Angelo Russell, because they're not giving up Edwards, which I would just agree with at this point. You play the upside game there. Um, they have to give up Malik Beasley. But then it's sort of iffy. It's how many picks are you giving up? Who else is included? Is it D'Lo? I would argue the Sixers should probably want D'Lo. I don't think they will. I think if that deal gets done, if, and I don't think it does. I mean, maybe it does. I think Jane McDaniels ends up being a, a bigger ass reason why than people are crediting. Because you can give Philadelphia all the picks in the world that they can use in other trades for the next star. Um, going long distance on a team in Minnesota that has not necessarily proven that it's the best, even with um, Gerson Rosas here. It's just he's taken some risks, but the team is still unspectacular right now, I'd argue. That's, that's how high I am on Jaden McDaniels, is my point, is I think he can be, and it might even be more valuable leading into the trade deadline. If you're looking at candidates to trade for, to either get the next star or a really high-end four, I don't know that I view him as a cornerstone-type prospect, he is certainly someone who can be the second best asset in a deal of that magnitude. I really, really wish that you had just left it off after the first time you said how much you love Jaden McDaniels. Cause then you mentioned Ben Simmons and the trade and ruined the entire joke that I was going to go for. Cause I was going to just launch into this Ben Simmons monologue about how he was the next most likely chance candidate for Minnesota and just see how long I could get before you were like, what are you doing here? But then you had to go talking about the trade. Ben Simmons as a breakout player is very insulting, but I, I'd be here. I'd be here to listen to it. You, yep. I think you, the moment's ruined though. You, you just, I, you, you murdered that moment. 
I will if you want to give Timberwolves fans hopes. I can't remember on the last pod our specific Ben Simmons segment whether you said that you think it's Minnesota or bus for Ben Simmons at this point. Is that what you said, or was it Sacramento? Yeah. It was Minnesota. No, I, I think it's either going to be he's in Minnesota at the start of the season or he's not dealt before the season starts. I'd lean the latter, but Minnesota is the one that I think Jaden McDaniels helps right away. Malik Beasley helps right away. And if you're giving picks into the distance, because it's this team, and maybe it ends up failing, you do have to calculate the fact that, oh, this team all of a sudden has Carl Anthony Towns and Ben Simmons, two potential top 15 players. Who work really well together, I, I think. I, I think that's the basketball fit-wise, This that's the team I want to see Simmons on. Yeah. Um, I almost don't even care who you give up. Just give me Simmons and Cat. I would be curious to see what the dynamic between Anthony Edwards and Simmons is. It'd be similar, I think, to what Jimmy Butler and Simmons were, and that didn't work if out. If Edwards continues on this offensive trajectory, though, I, I don't think it matters what Simmons does on offense. I think what the difference is is that – and this isn't an insult to Jimmy Butler, who was a better player than Ben Simmons. The fact that Anthony Edwards is not better than Ben Simmons right now probably helps and just hasn't had the time to establish that type of offensive mm-hmm. ego. And he seems, just based off his interviews – like, I know people were kind of insulting his commitment to basketball coming into the league. I feel like he'll just do what it takes to maximize what the team wants. And that dude is also just fucking hilarious in interviews. He is, is, he is, who's, he is a, a better joy. interview than him right no now. No one right now. No. Absolutely no one. It's Let's, so great. And, like, it's funny you say that he hasn't had a time to develop enough of an offensive ego. Yes, he has. Have you listened to him in interviews? He, he thinks he's, but it's like a, it's a mocking ego. It, it is. He he's it 100% is. It was just, it was one of those things where you said it and I was like, uh, that's, that sounds a little weird to say about Anthony Edwards. Like I get it and I agree with it, but it just, it was, it was, uh, it was an interesting choice of words. I guess just the type of character that he is and then just based off where he is at his career, it seems like there can be more of a give and take between he and Ben Simmons than a Jimmy Butler. And, ben, and look, also the maniacal where they seem to diverge to is Jimmy Butler is like, if you're not getting up at 2.30 in the morning to join me for a 3 a.m. Right. workout, I, I fucking hate you. So, oh my God, we need to, I'm gonna have to put an explicit like parental advisory thing on this podcast. This is I would say like, we're gonna, it's gonna be demonetized on YouTube, except we don't have enough subscribers yet to monetize it. So uh, everyone just go subscribe to the Hardwood Knox YouTube channel. Look, after watching my mouth and only cursing once with Davey in the vicinity, of your son in Colorado while I was there a couple weeks ago. I, I'm just letting it all out. I'm catching up for yeah, lost time. And that's what that's totally fine. Did you like my super organic plug? Yes. I don't I, think anyone is going to notice that we had an agenda there. Like there's, yeah, it will not, it will just fly right under the radar. Hopefully we just get a bunch of Timberwolves fans that subscribe to the YouTube channel because yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> we love Anthony Edwards. We want the Timberwolves to trade Ben Simmons. We think Jane McDaniels is a future top five player of all time. Let's move on to the next team, which is yours. And I won't hijack it because I'm not as selfish as you are, like you did with the Timberwolves. It's the New Orleans Pelicans. And this was a confusing one because <laughs> I, I, I once felt like there were a bunch of candidates and no candidates. So I, uh, I ended up going with Devontae Graham. I, I think, yeah, I, I didn't think that would be a popular pick. Definitely not the conventional one. It feels like a really ideal situation for him because he has a phenomenal lob target and transition threat in Zion Williamson. He has a great wing scorer in Brandon Ingram, who can allow him to serve as a primary creator sometimes, but also work off the ball more. He has never worked as a cutter. He actually did not register enough possession finishing plays on cuts to register on the play types within NBA.com. 
So I don't really know that this would work, but I just feel given his instincts and his length that there's something there. He's not tall, but he, he is surprisingly long. And that coupled with the passing vision, which is legitimately excellent. Um, like you saw that from the very start of his surprising rookie se- season where like he was making advanced reads, advanced passes. They were hitting guys in the right spots right away. It feels like a good situation for him to reestablish himself as that player we thought he was coming out of his rookie season where like maybe this guy is a legitimate dual threat point guard who can excel as a scorer sometimes, excel as a passer most of the time. I love that pick, even though it's not my pick. Um, because I I loved Devontae Graham. When you're looking at the 2019-2020 season he had in Charlotte, there is – I don't think he's ever going to be a good finisher. I think we've proven that. But he was among the, the best in the league at assists generated near the rim because defenses do respect his dribble penetration. And he had hit off the dribble threes, and he meant something to Charlotte's offense. This is a number – that I knew existed, which is why I was able to look it up so quickly while you were talking. Again, 2019-2020. So it's going back um, beyond this past season. But among every single player to log at least 750 minutes, Devontae Graham had the seventh highest offensive rating swing in the league. 11.2 points per 100 possessions better than the Charlotte Hornets were when he was on the court offensively. He, he was worth- so electric. It was was, so fun. He was obviously working from a lower baseline, but just consider the names that are in front of him. Dame, Cat, Trey Young, Devin Booker, CP3, and and Gallo was number one in the league, by the way, when he was in OKC that year. Oh, yeah, go Gallo. I think he's a a viable candidate, especially because they need him, where in Charlotte it felt like he wasn't able to do enough, or at least the dynamics changed when you had LaMelo Ball, Gordon Hayward in there, even with Terry Rozier playing so well. He's going to have more responsibility, I think, which which suits him. He's almost one of those players yeah. where I think, yeah, he will hit so many catch-and-shoot threes, but he does really need to be involved to get within the flow of the game. I, though, went with Najee Marshall because the Pelicans' wing depth is still just – it's all over the place. I love the Trey Murphy pick. Um, I like Josh Hart still. I can't believe he only got one guaranteed year. But as someone who could – Marshall is someone who could play the three and the four, shoot the three ball fairly well, match up defensively at you know probably three different positions – at this point, and I still think they need him to play. And they're also, when you look on paper, they're not good enough to say, you know what, we can't play him because they didn't have enough experience. You still need wings. You have Brandon Ingram, you have Trey Murphy, who's a rookie, you have Josh Hart, and those are your wings, really. Herbert I don't know, Jones like, might might get there. Maybe. Um, so but I mean, like Garrett Temple is there. I'm not putting Garrett Temple ahead. Is of- he though? Is he really? <laughs> I would love, I do think I was with you. You framed it perfectly. I simultaneously feel like there are a ton of candidates and not many because I really want to say Kyra Lewis Jr. I just don't know what type of opportunity he has. And he is, I think it's a year early. He is a human blur, but you have Devontae Graham, Thomas Sadoransky, plus points ion, plus who I think is a viable other candidate, Nikhil Alexander Walker. And so just what do the roles look like there? I just, I love Noah. Um, someone I was infatuated with when he was coming out of the 2019 draft, or is that 20? Yeah, 2020 draft? 19, I think. 2019, yeah, yeah. Um, he wasn't a rookie last year, so 2019. He just hasn't put it together for me on offense. It's, it's sort of really just all over the place. He does feel like he has that juice when he's going downhill. Can he piece it together into something that's cohesive, though, when you look at his game? Or can you just count on him to do that, but then also kind of be more of a complimentary device 
um, an accessory device, however you want to frame it. His game is also sort of wired to be like the ball probably needs to be in his hands. Maybe this roster is better suited to him getting more minutes in general without Eric Bledsoe there and without Lonzo Ball there. Maybe. I don't like, can he take on the Lonzo Ball role, but just have a little bit more on ball creation in the half court? That would be huge for them. And I wouldn't rule it out defensively either, by the way. He would be my second choice, but I'm going with Marshall just because I'm not. They have Brandon Ingram, they have Josh Hart. So they have guys that are ahead of him in the depth chart, but if they are looking to compete for something, how much, how many minutes do they give to Trey Murphy? Do they view Naw as sort of a wing where maybe he plays a lot of two or maybe even some three in certain lineups? I'm going to roll the dice on Najee Marshall because I think he's a really good player that fits the, like they need plug and play guys. I think because you have Zion, you have Brandon Ingram, you even have Jonas Valanciunas who's kind of plug and play, but he's also going to want touches on the offensive end. And I think you need to cater to the guys at this point who are going to work their asses off defensively for you and when you're looking at this roster i'm not talking about effectiveness necessarily but i would argue you have josh hart and then marshall is just like the guy that's going to work and murphy those are your three guys that are going to work their tails off defensively every single possession i find it i don't want to say alarming because he did so show some growth but the fact that neither of us mentioned jackson hayes probably is you know a referendum on just how blah the pelicans sort of seem for next season but I don't know. Maybe he does. I do. I do want to give a shout out to Wenyan Gabriel as well. I don't think that there's a path to him playing enough minutes to be a true breakout candidate, but I fell in love with his game during the 2020 playoffs for the Portland trailblazers. He showed a lot of growth as a shooter and looked a little bit more comfortable, like passing off the short roll. It wasn't really turning into assists yet, but I think there's still something there. I and think what he needs though and this isn't the roster to do it, is because he can't log minutes at the three, he needs to be one of the primary backup fours or even fives. Yeah. I know we'd be undersized there. And I think they're going to – you have Jackson Hayes and Jonas Valanciunas at the five. Maybe they even still like Willie, Willie Hernan Gomez is still there, right? Maybe they even like him a little bit better. Uh, and again, Gabriel's size. And then at the four, I'm hoping they go with more Marshall at the four minutes alongside Brandon Ingram. I don't. Maybe they don't do that so William Gabriel can crack it there. I just I, I don't think there's much of a path, but I just I like him enough as a player still that I want to at least mention him in this conversation. I'm with it. Like you said, there's a ton of candidates and there's also not at the same time. That brings us to the Oklahoma City Thunder. I'm on fire with the alphabet in this podcast. That's two consecutive podcasts in a row where I'm just lights out with the alphabet. I think this is one of those teams where you can go with any sort of candidate. Anyone who thinks it should be Shane Gilgis Alexander. I'm writing you off. Jay Gilgis Alexander is already a star. It's just, he's so good. He's my pick, by the way. He, w- <laughs> he would have been most improved player for me last season if he didn't get injured over Julius Randle, over Jeremy Grant, whoever finished the finalist there. I'm actually going, and I, I thought about Darius Baisley here too, because he just, he's shown flashes of so many different things. I'm just, we've yet to see him really put it together. You could go with um, Alexei Polkashevsky if you want. I'm going to go with Kenrich Williams. The fact that they didn't bring back Shvi, the fact that they traded, um, well, they traded Hamadou Diallo for Shvi, but the, the fact that they didn't really do anything in free agency for real, the fact that they weren't involved in any salary dumps at this point, aside from there was the Kemba Walker, Al Horford stuff, but whatever. I think they view him after what he did last season as an actual rotation player at the three and the four shot threes well, can do some things with the ball in his hands, whether it's in transition or in the half court. And then he just gives you 
so much defensive portability. I'm talking someone who can legitimately defend two, three, or four. Maybe last year was sort of this flash in the pan for him. But I think, you know, when you're looking at the, the three, four rotation, which is very much up in the air to me, you have Poku, you have Darius Baisley as sort of your long-term investments there. And I'm just, I'm viewing maybe Lou Dort's part of the three or Shea, Joseph Alexander is. So let's say there's three guys. You have three key pieces when you're looking at the two, three, four spots um, in, or four. Let's just go with Lou Dort, Shea, Poku, and Darius Baisley. Like there are, that's four guys for three positions, even though they can all play a bunch of different areas. Kendrick Williams is the next most intriguing guy to me after that. And so there should be plenty of, of reps within him. If I had to guess where I think he could take a leap, it's with on-ball offense. And I still think this team has the flexibility to, to give him more opportunities on the ball. I know that Shea will be healthy. I know that they have Teo Maladone, who could be another pick. They have Josh Giddy, um, passer extraordinaire, who doesn't even really seem like he wants to score, to be honest with you. I just, I think there's more for Ken. I don't think they'll feature him, but this is someone who I think they can, even if he plays the same amount of minutes, I think we can see just a noticeable uptick in the, you know, just the, the overall boundaries of his game. I think they can be extended everywhere. And I, I remain, after all these years, he's been kind of this fringe roster guy in the NBA for a while. It feels like maybe he's sort of found a nice long-term home or a long-term stock. Maybe he doesn't even finish the season in Oklahoma City. Can't rule anything out on that front. I don't see it yet from Teo Maladon, but every other candidate I'm totally on board with. I've liked Kenrich Williams' game for a long time. Would love to see him continue to to expand it. Uh, Darius Baisley probably would have been my backup selection, but I did go with Shea here just because I, while I recognize that he's already a star, he did technically qualify for the criteria because he doesn't have an all-star appearance. And I am similarly high on him and think that we're talking about him as an all-NBA candidate by the end of this season. Like the, the level of growth he's already shown, just reaping every benefit possible from playing alongside Chris Paul, expanding his role and not seeing his efficiency suffer for it. Stephen Curry and Kevin Durant are the only other players last season who averaged over 20 points and five assists while shooting as well on twos, 54.7% and threes, 41.8%. And you're laughing because you've realized I'm just reading your article back to you. SGA sustained this production despite more than 87% of his made baskets going unassisted, the highest mark among the 439 players to appear in at least 20 games. His responsibility on this Thunder team last year was so ridiculous that as this team gets better around him, which it's going to, because there are so many breakout candidates that one of them is going to hit, if not multiple candidates, he is going to get that recognition next season in the most improved player race, which he would have been a fixture in had he not gotten hurt last year. He's going to make an all-star team. He's going to get all NBA votes. There's still so much room for for growth here. Uh, you're not. I'm not going to argue with you again, Shay. I think we've given a nice tug of war or a nice balance here to where you're willing to pick the breakouts that might go from fringe stars or actual stars into mega stars. And I'm focusing more on guys that are maybe bursting onto the scene. So I'm, I have no arguments. Shea Gillis Alexander spectacular. It would not, it, it would only shock me if he's in the all NBA conversation because the summer, this, the, the summer, the thunder is going to be so <laughs> deliberately awful. I just don't think he's going to get that type of recognition. Are they? If they're anywhere near 500 within 20 games of the season, Shea Gillis Alexander is getting shut down for the next half decade. That's what Sam Presti is I, I, I just don't know that we're going to see it 
they don't to the same extent now because they have so many picks from other teams coming in. Yeah, but the problem is, is that all of a sudden those rocket picks, eh? That that they've they have two years of no rocket picks, and the Rockets I think have gotten on an interesting course. The Clippers next season without Kawhi, still kind of a middling playoff team. But you can still really... package things together at this point to move up in the draft. I, I think that we're beyond you having that, but they couldn't they couldn't do that this year. Off. They tried and they couldn't do right. that this year. I think because they don't have that clear-cut number two guy, and of everyone we could have mentioned, whether it was Baisley, whether it was Pokashevsky, I mentioned Kendrick Williams, they don't, I don't even know if they, like, even Josh Giddy, I don't know if they have the option. No, for the, I don't think they do. So I, my guess would be, no, it won't be as egregious as it was this past season. And to be fair, he was dealing with plantar fascia, which is just like, that, that's no That's joke. a legitimate shutdown. And he didn't play any, he didn't play for Team Canada this year either. So it was clearly an issue. But I just don't think they're going to be good enough for him to get that. I wouldn't surprise he he already had the statistical credentials to enter that conversation, though. Your team is the Phoenix Suns, though. Struggled with this one too. I Mikhail Bridges was my first instinct, and I get go it. with your first instinct, and I get it. But I I didn't see enough during the playoffs where I really expected him to become an even more important offensive fixture. And I just, I don't know that we saw that. And it makes me question what his role is going to be like on a team that's largely similar. Cameron Johnson is another good option. Jalen Smith after his summer league. But I, I kind of, I'm going to stick with the theme of like, I'm going on the higher trajectory players. And I, I want to go with DeAndre Aiden here. I, I, even though he disappointed in some games in the playoffs, he showed a lot more upside than we had realized with his defensive ability where all of a sudden he was this super impactful interior defender who could switch out to the perimeter in smaller doses, which is not something that we really expected coming out of his rookie season. He started to show more flashes of a capable mid-range game of a consistent post-up game. He was more aggressive on the boards. It wasn't consistent. I don't know that it's going to be consistent this season, but he is becoming a bigger part of this core than would have been the case this time last year. And given Chris Paul's increasing age, and I know that Chris Paul is good enough that he could be snaking to the opposite elbow and nailing mid-range jumpers well into his 70s, I do think that given the postseason success they've already had, they know this team is good now, that his role is going to decrease a little bit. And those opportunities probably go to Aiden, whether he's finishing and pick and rolls instead of just serving as a decoy or just getting featured more in the post. I just, I think that there's a lot more to plumb here. Yeah. I don't, I, I'm not sold on featuring him more outside of the pick and roll. Uh, I just, I didn't see enough of that. He is making quicker decisions on offense, but I think the moment you ask him to post up more, maybe face up more, that might go out the window a little bit. I still, he's a very going to be a very good player. I'm so much higher on Mikael Bridges future though. What he can do defensively, I think he had a case to be all defense last year. And I, I think there's there's more to plumb with him as well because we've seen him hit dribble into some triples, not a ton. We've also seen him make these passes on the move. I think they could expand that role for him next year because, and this is a questionable decision in itself, There's a they are a team that went to the finals last year, lost four straight to Milwaukee. They didn't do anything to materially upgrade their roster, which is – I think it's a missed opportunity. I know their flexibility was limited, but they didn't even use all of their mid-level exception. And nobody in the West is running away with, the, away with it anymore. And so I think 
they had the ability to establish themselves as if everyone was always going to gravitate towards the Lakers, it feels like there could have been a no brainer number two option and that they missed the opportunity to actualize that chance. I might still pick them to come out of the West, but they need by doing what they did or maybe doing what they didn't do. You are banking on internal growth. And when you look at Cam Johnson, who I think could get better. When you look at Jalen Smith, who I think might be able to play an actual role after what I saw from him in summer league. When you look at DeAndre, yeah, sure. Mikhail Bridges is the bigger offensive swing piece to me as a self-creator or someone who can do more off the dribble. Because I don't think he's ever going to hit these really difficult, off-the-bounce, unassisted jumpers. But I could really see a scenario in which Mikhail Bridges is averaging four-plus assists per game. And maybe he's not running conventional pick-and-roll. Maybe it's just making quick decisions with the ball. Maybe it's just pumping and driving. Um, We've seen it from him. And if you can rely on that more, that, to me, seems like more of the missing piece than anything else on this roster is that bigger wing who can be featured a little bit more than what Mikael Bridges was last season. I think it'll be easier to find that balance now that you have a year of operating with Devin Booker, Cameron Payne, and Chris Paul all together. But there's still that usage vacuum on the perimeter, specifically on the wings at the three, four spot. I'm not sold on DeAndre Ayton eating up more touches as the center in what, in the capacity that I think they would need him to. And that's, I think he's, so much further along defensively than he is is offensively, which is a compliment which because he can be pretty good too. on offense. But I'm still all in on Mikael Bridges, and this is the first player I think I've picked, although I defaulted to MPJ with the Nuggets after I cheated with Bones Highland. Of everyone that I've talked about, if you told me, not necessarily next season, but the next couple of years, uh, that any of my picks are going to ascend into all-star territory, it would be him, and it would be pretty easily by a fairly substantial margin based on everyone else that I've picked. I'm, I, feel, I still feel like I'm high on his potential, just less so than you. And I just, with the without the changing construction of this team, I just tend to think that it's Aiden who's going to be experimented more with. Portland is my team. And I, there are only two options here for me. It's Nasir Little or Anthony Simons, unless you're coming up with someone else. I'm going to go with Nasir Little. I Anthony Simons, it seems like, there's a, a flip that switch, a switch that flips every like late March, early April type in the season, like that part of the schedule, since the schedule has been different, where he just all of a sudden starts hitting these off the dribble jumpers. I just haven't seen him do anything else aside from that. Where I just don't think he's good. <laughs> I think he's anyone who can hit those tough jumpers has value, but it's, it's like it's one dimensional multi dimensionality, if that makes any sense, because he can score from different levels in different ways, but he can't. He's also doing it at a point in the schedule when like teams are experimenting or I resting for players. I haven't seen enough from him to be like, you know what? They should probably give him some backup point guard minutes. I think this year, more so than any other year, they're probably counting on him for that. Like you're not, is that you have Dennis Smith Jr. now. They're but, very intentionally not bringing in players to fill that role. And they've never done that. And that's they've never done that. Yeah, that's yeah. just been something they don't do. But Nasir Little battled injuries, had the COVID stuff last year. Maybe the front court rotations more closed off now that they they do they did sign Marquise Chris, Cody Zeller, and they traded for Larry Nance Jr. Home run acquisition, by the way. Love Larry Nance Jr. But like, if you want to go the small ball five route, I think Little might be better equipped to defend fives than Larry Nance Jr. at this point. He is also just like deceptively, when he's at full strength, just strong and feels like he can throw some guys around. So I, I feel like he gives you a lot of different options on defense. And if he's going to be a smaller guy, 
who can score off catches. I don't want to say rolling to the basket, but maybe cutting to the basket or just being around the basket, making those hustle plays. And maybe this is the year where we see him stay healthy enough to kind of establish his, no, we know Nasir Little is not going to come in and shoot 80% on a bunch of pull-up jumpers, but he shot 35% from three last year on 1.7 attempts per game. Uh, modest volume might be the, the best way to frame that. So there still seems like there's the bandwidth to play him. It's, it's smaller now that Larry Nance Jr. is there. And when you look at the makeup of the backcourt, I think you could argue, well, there's more of a runway for Simons. Even if you want to play Norman Powell as your de facto backup one, just because you have Powell, McCollum, and Lillard uh, across three positions, like there's just going to be inherently more minutes opening up there. And when you look at the other options, where it's a Ben McLemore, a Tony Snell, like there's just there's going to be more minutes open for Simons, I think, than Nasir Little. But because of his defensive value, if he can hit enough of his threes and then again make those hustle plays around the rim, I still remain kind of intrigued by his future in the league. So I broke the rules and went with Damian Lillard here. Oh, you established broke out as left Portland for another city. <laughs> that was a good, good in the moment comeback. No, I mean, obviously I'm not picking Damian Lillard. I, I also picked Nasir Little. Uh, he, he only exceeded 20 minutes in a game nine times this past season. He averaged 10.8 points per game in those games. He still has a lot of room to grow as a havoc wreaking defender. Uh, the deflections just haven't been there, which could partially be because of the illness and injuries last season, or because he's still getting used to defensive rotations in the NBA. He hasn't really been featured much as a slasher, but those are the two areas that he really excelled at in college. And those were expected to be his primary strengths coming into the NBA. So the fact that there should be room for growth there and he's already contributing in other unexpected areas means that there's something more there. I also think it matters that per the athletics, Jason quick, he didn't participate in summer league because the coaching staff didn't think he needed to. And that's enough of a vote of confidence that I think he's going to play a significant role in this rotation. And if he does with minutes, he has a chance to be very productive. Yeah, I think the only question there is how, what's the extent of that opportunity after the Larry Dad shooter trade? I guess you can count on Yusuf Nurkic being not healthy enough that there will be pockets of playing time available somewhere. But yeah, for sure. We're on to the Sacramento Kings, though. And you they are, are nailing the alphabet. I'm really proud of you. I'm fired today. I think it's because of all the time you spent with my toddler. That like it, just, it helped you move in the right direction. Yeah, because I had to look up all the letters because he was naming all the dinosaurs that I can't pronounce. So. Exactly. <laughs> I'm hoping. I know who you picked here so that I don't feel compelled to pick him, but please carry on. I, this might just be wishful thinking on this one. Uh, I, I'm going with Robert Woodard. So very quick aside, because this podcast is already too long. You picked Shea Gilgis Alexander, <laughs> Michael Porter no. Jr. And you're not picking. I'm all over the place. And I'm all not right. picking De'Aaron Fox. Carry on. I, I think that Fox's reputation has advanced a little bit beyond the others. That's part of it. Yeah, because Michael Porter Jr. and SGA are basically unknowns. I get it. I'm not saying they're unknowns, but Fox is like already viewed as that guy on his team. Let the record reflect that based off Adam's criteria, someone should pick De'Aaron Fox. <laughs> I'm not going to because I am so high on De'Aaron Fox already, and I wrote an extensive piece. And that's fair. About that's breakout the same stars. reason I'm not. <laughs> I wrote an extensive piece about breakout stars for next year, and I know De'Aaron Fox still has the jumper element of his game to figure out. He hit enough step back junker, step back jumpers. Some of them might have been junkers. He had enough of those step backs just to make me believe 
that this is this is the guy. So De'Aaron Fox yeah. has graduated from this conversation for me. Adam for me is well. very inconsistent. I'm super inconsistent. And that's fine. Just like De'Aaron Fox's jumper. Um, Woodard is, it's definitely just optimistic thinking on my part, but I just loved him so much as a prospect, like legitimately thought that he should have gotten top 20 attention because of his three and D upside. He only played 45 minutes as a rookie, but those traits haven't gone away. He's still really long and really athletic with a quick first step. He finishes well around the basket. He's a good spot up shooter. He's comfortable taking mid range jumpers, mostly of the spot up variety, not really great off the bounce. He has remarkable lateral quickness. He's comfortable defending in one-on-one situations and off the ball. He causes a lot of disruptive plays he knows what his role is and he's willing to thrive within it. I just loved this guy as a prospect and I don't think that Sacramento is there yet. So I would love to see experimentation to the point that you're giving him more than 45 minutes in a season and allowing him to become a legitimate high-end part of a rotation because I think that that's what he can become. Do you think I know that, that the- it's it's a very unlikely pick? But I'm just I, I'm still so high on him as a prospect, which he still is, because again, only 45 minutes as a rookie do on a bad think, team. Do you, obviously there's nowhere to go but up essentially for his minutes. But do you think that the opportunity will be there for him to actually get those minutes this season? If they aren't good and start to make trades, yeah, I think so. Because is Buddy Heald going to finish the season on the roster? Is Harrison Barnes going to finish the season on the roster if this isn't a playoff contender? I would argue no, which means that you're going to end up giving minutes to youngsters. I mean, that is that is fair enough. Um, so my pick is I should pick Rashawn Holmes because clearly based off what happened in free agency, <laughs> people are not aware of how good that Rashawn Holmes is. And it, and it makes me incredibly sad. I would just like to state. However, I'm going with Tyrese Halliburton because I think people probably think he's low floor i mean high floor low ceiling i think he's high floor high ceiling i don't know if he'll ever have like the raw explosive from scratch creation i'm fully believe that he can run an offense and the fact that he could do it efficiently but also play off the ball also be disruptive on defense get deflection hold his own in one-on-one not ball watch be in the right place on rotations showed all of this as a rookie and so this is this is mind-blowing to me and i know that some of these are cherry-picked but the last rookie to match De'Aaron, uh, excuse me, Tyrese Halliburton's assist percentage, steal percentage, block percentage, and true shooting percentage, there was one. It's only happened one time in NBA history. Can you guess which player that is? I thought we were going towards Chris Paul until you said block percentage. Michael <sighs> fucking Jordan. I know, I know I cherry picked those in the sense that there's no like real benchmarks. I'm just looking at what Tyrese Halliburton posted, but the only other rookie in NBA history to match his assist steal block and true shooting percentages was Michael Jordan. Do I even need to say anything else? Can I rest my case there? I guess he had a pretty good career. <laughs> Look, I think there's room for him to grow, grow on the Kings because they haven't done anything to the roster. That's like, Oh, his role might be diluted. I, I know um, Davion Mitchell's there. I think what's actually... I would have made an exception if you picked him, by the way, because he's just so fun. Davion Mitchell, uh, I've said this before about him, wears other people's skin as decoration. But I do think that they're more, if anything, having Davion Mitchell 
either makes it more likely that Buddy Heald's minutes get squeezed because they play a lot of three-guard lineups or just more they're more inclined to move Buddy Heald, which clearly it seems like they are, given what almost happened with the Lakers. So Tyrese Halliburton, really good. I would assume it'll only get better. If you're looking for the part of his game where there's the most area for growth, I think you can look at will they give him more solo time as the point of attack facilitator, or can he just show more from scratch, square one shot making? And there were hints of it last year. Like he disarmed defenders, shook a few of them, hit some step backs, got around them out of his sheer guile rather than, you know, he's not like the most, you know, he's not wearing a jet pack on his heels, but I love Tyrese Halliburton. What a fantastic pickup by the Kings in the 2020 draft. I fully expect him to ascend eventually in into or around all-star territory. He joins Giannis Antetokounmpo as a draft what could have been for the Atlanta Hawks. The fact that the Knicks didn't take him, or even the Suns. I know people, the Suns is the big one. The Knicks not taking him was the most egregious one. They overthought it because it's like, hey, you haven't had a guard with skills on offense in forever to build around. Stop overthinking it. Take Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Take Tyrese Halliburton. But they have Emmanuel quickly. Tyrese Halliburton, to me, is going to be way better. Yes. Which brings us to the San Antonio Spurs. It's super tempting to go with DeJounte Murray, Derek White, Devin Vassell, because DeMar DeRozan is now on the Chicago Bulls. This is the most we've seen the San Antonio Spurs embrace more of a youth movement. Those seem like the prominent pieces to get featured. I'm still going with Keldon Johnson here. I I, I saw Nikias Duncan compare him to Gerald Wallace once, and I just can't unsee it. The way that he plays with that reckless abandon, you know, Gerald Wallace was nicknamed Crash. Keldon Johnson might as well. Like He just does not have an off switch. He loves playing off the ball, it seems, uh, where he thrives as a slasher. He always attacks the basket. There's a developing pull-up game. And beyond that, he's coming off a summer that he spent with Team USA as one of the young guys who got to learn from all the stars around him. Typically, we see big strides made from those players because it is not every day that you get to spend that amount of quality time in a competitive situation with players of that caliber. So it all lines up for Keldon Johnson becoming like the guy on this team for me. Yeah, I think you go a number of routes there. I don't have anything to add on the Keldon Johnson front, and he was ultimately my pick. Um, Looking at the rest of the roster, though, I came very close to picking Trey Jones, more so than I thought I ever would have, based off what he did in summer league. I also think while they are more established players that you could go with Derek white or DeJounte Murray in the sense that the fact the Spurs weren't more interested in bringing DeMar DeRozan back without entering a full on rebuild, because I don't think they're there yet. They've definitely skewed that direction. I do think it shows more trust in their ability to run an offense. I'm just more intrigued, but I think we've just, we know what DeJounte Murray is. We know what Derek white is when he's healthy. And I don't know how much of an extra gear they're going to hit whereas with Keldon Johnson you kind of outlined it if the three-pointer starts to fall a little bit frequently if those off the the bounce jumpers can hit a little bit he ends up being like probably the the second best cornerstone if not the most important cornerstone on this team so yeah he's the pick for me I think you could go with Devin Vassell too I don't think they're going to give him the on-ball opportunity I think he just plays more minutes and maybe we're looking at him as just like a you know, a, a three and D guy, which is fine. I just don't know how high Kel- Keldon Johnson seems to have the higher ceiling, both yeah. in role and, and actual ceiling. Totally agree. You could probably go with Jakob Pertle here too, if you really wanted to based on the rim protection, but absolutely. 
he, I, I think he could also go with Zach Collins if you think he's going to be healthy enough to play. So you can't go with Zach Collins. Wow, that was. But I, if I didn't pick Keldon Johnson, I'm not going to lie. I would have went with Trey Jones, who he really he showed a lot at summer league. So I, I think that that's someone if they were, you know, I don't know how married they are to giving Josh Primo minutes right away because he's so young, and they did sign Bryn Forbes, but. For guard play, I'm I'm really hoping we get to see some of Trey Jones next year. I also wouldn't really hate a Keita Bates job pick. Really? You know, there's an opportunity there now. He has his shot has never really translated to the NBA level, but I think that his effort level plays well in San Antonio, and that there is more on offense than we've seen so far. The final team was the toughest team for me. I wanted to break the the rule actively break the rule like on purpose, as opposed to accidentally breaking the rule with Bones Island and pick Jared Butler. I'm not going to do that because I honestly don't know what type of an opportunity um, he'll get there. I will say getting him at number 40, I think has the potential long-term to be the steal of the draft. If they're able to fill, if he's able to stay healthy and if they actually fit him in the rotation, I'm going to go with Eric Pascal here. I think that getting him and getting Rudy Gay shows that, for the minutes, Rudy Gobert is on the bench. You may see a lot of Hassan Whiteside in certain matchups, but Utah does feel a little bit more willing to go small. And maybe they'll do that by playing Gay and Pascal at the same time a lot in second unit heavy lineups. With Pascal, gives you a lot of different shot creation with the ball in his hands. He wants to get to the mid-range, take those baby jumpers. He'll do some stuff in the post. I don't know if you want him playing and defending the five. I would argue you probably don't but he is kind of girthy enough to defend fours and fives. And if he's someone that you look at and you just look at the shot quality that the jazz generate for their, their players. And I would say not named Donovan Mitchell, since he's tasked with so much square one shot making, it would not surprise me if we see Pascal's three point volume and percentage go up. I don't expect him to play a major role. He averaged 17.4 minutes and 40 appearances with the warriors last year. I would take the under on those minutes. I don't really know what to do with the appearances part of that. They just have so few candidates because they are the, they might be the most established team in all of basketball, which is a testament to how actually good they are. I think if, if you force me to pick which team is going to have the best regular season record right now, I'm going with the Jazz again. They're just built that way. And I totally think that you should. Um this was a really hard one because I don't really see that much of a path to playing time for, for Pascal. That's the, the only concern I have there, even though he is a player that I have thought can thrive in an off-the-bench role as that energy offensive spark for a while. Royce O'Neal is another guy I looked at, but I don't know how much we're going to see him make a jump. So I had to go with a deep cut here and went with Udoka Azabuki because – is he, he going to play over Hassan Whiteside? I'm, I'm getting there. So yeah. he only played 57 minutes as a rookie, which surprised me because that pick to me in the 2020 draft really screamed, we want a Rudy Gay simulacrum off the bench because he's not as good as Rudy Gobert on the defensive end. Let's make that perfectly clear. The way that he plays is a little bit similar where he has so much length around the rim. He's a great rim protecting option. He's comfortable funneling guys toward him. He's competent enough defending on the perimeter because he can recover well. It seemed really similar to the way that Gobert plays defense, 
but Derek Favors was there. So Derek Favors is no longer there. Hassan Whiteside is. How quickly, and, and I do think that signing can work if Hassan Whiteside embraces that kind of role, learns from Gobert, who is by far the best defensive big he's played with to this point in his career. But there is a, a, a realistic scenario in which Whiteside isn't playable because much like in other locations, he doesn't have the discipline. He may not stay healthy, whatever the case may be. There is a path to him not being in the rotation and Azabuki can fill that role. So I don't think it's likely, but on a team where I just didn't feel like there was an option, I felt comfortable going that route. It would be wild if they just decided to put the ball in Royce O'Neal's hands more on offense before. And they tried that before Mike Conley and Jordan Clarkson were really there to, let's say, varying effect. And it was, it really just wasn't that great. I just think he's already too good to be a breakout candidate. We know what yeah. he is on defense, and he just really fills the, the crevices nicely on offense. That's an interesting angle with Azubuki. And I guess what you could say, one, you can't – the Hassan White signing was objectively good. It was it the was. minimum. 100% and was. But there's – it isn't it, guaranteed to go well. Well, And no, here's – so I, what you made an interesting point is that there are second units, I would say, with increasing frequency – there are more second units is the best way to frame it that are downsizing. Maybe they don't downsize in their starting lineup. They're downsizing in their second unit. Hassan Whiteside can't play during those minutes. If you think Azabuki is more likely to do that, I would argue, I was making that same argument basically with Pascal and Gay, where I think that maybe that's your front court because they're going to go up against a lot of pocket-sized lineups in the, in the second unit. But that's an interesting way to frame it. And I almost would argue, had, had Hassan Whiteside cost any more than the minimum which for the Jazz, he really couldn't have when you, unless they were going to use their non-taxpayers been level on him. Uh, excuse me, their taxpayers been level on him, which they didn't. You, I might have like I might prefer to take some swings behind Gobert because he plays so many minutes and is so guaranteed anyway. Rather than going with more of the known with Whiteside, there's value in that. Why not take a chance on Azubuki or what I was saying with just see what happens with the gay Pascal minutes, which is in part why I went with Eric Pascal there. I do the way you frame it, Azubuki is super interesting though, and there's you know. Could you have picked anyone aside from Azabuki or Pascal in this? Maybe my Maybe O'Neal because of how you mentioned. Yeah, only if they're trying to experiment. Like Quinn Snyder hasn't really messed around with schemes like we've seen an Eric Spolstra do during the regular season. If he decided to because he knows how good this team is and how it could just out-talent its way to a playoff berth regardless of what it's doing schematically – there is a scenario I can see in which O'Neal is afforded more ball, ball handling opportunities and gets to see if he can expand his role. But you'll notice I didn't pick him because I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I just I think O'Neal would be the, the the third best guy, and I won't even pick him just because I think I'd rather see them just go all in on Jared Butler yeah. as a rookie than than with him. This was a. A great podcast. We had a lot of fun with it. We love these doing these types of exercises where we do something and go through every NBA team. If you have not already, please, please, pretty please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Hardwood Knox on iTunes. Even if you don't use it, even if you don't use iTunes, go to iTunes, search Hardwood Knox, throw us a five-star rating, write a review. Those help us out a ton. Please subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcast, though. Download every episode, download every episode. That helps us out a ton. And we are on YouTube as Adam shamelessly, but effectively plugged during the middle of this podcast. Um, YouTube.com, search Hardware Knox. We will come up. Help us get to 1,000 subscribers very quickly. Just help us. Come on, hit that subscribe button, like videos. We're on 
Twitter at Hardwood Knox. We are on Instagram at Hardwood underscore Knox. We are on TikTok at Hardwood Knox. Until next time, leave with a shout out to the one, the only, the breakout candidate for the Los Angeles Lakers because he currently doesn't have a team. The Lakers don't have a good amount of breakout candidate options. Frankie Lakina.